0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Hi, everyone. Tonight we're learning Parak Dalid. Just a few words of introduction to give you some background information for this Perak is that David had a son named Avshalom. And Avshalom decided that he's going to try to overthrow his father because he wants to be the king instead. So what did he do? He assembled a big group of rebels, a big group of followers, and together they devised a plan to kill David Amalek. So in the previous parak, parak Gimel, we see that David is asking Hashem in that parak to physically save him from his son who was trying to kill him. In this parak, parak Dalid, David is turning towards Avshalom's followers and he's actually lecturing them to improve their ways and to do tshuva. He's trying to appeal to them to repent. Why? Because David knows that this is not going to end well. He He knows that his malchus is going to endure and that Avshalom is not. And so he's begging them to save themselves by doing tshuva. And we could see here David's great generosity and kindness of spirit because instead of trying to take revenge on these enemies, which you would think that he would want to do, Right. You would think he would ask Hashem, take revenge on these people and kill them. They're being morir b'malchus, they're rebelling. Instead, he prefers a peaceful reconciliation and he tries to guide these rebels, these enemies towards happiness and towards good fortune. And he's telling them, I'm showing you the path that's going to give you happiness. Go in the right way and stop trying to do the wrong thing. And we're going to see that David in this parak is going to expose their motives. And he's going to say, you're not really trying to support Avshalom because you really want him to be the king and you want the best for him. You're doing it because you're jealous. You're envious. You're looking over your shoulder at the Gentiles. You're seeing their way of life. And that's causing you to no longer be content as one of my subjects. And so tonight, after we finish the parak, we're going to explore the midah of jealousy. And we're going to learn... All about the midah of jealousy. We're gonna learn the good parts about it, the bad parts about it, and we're gonna see what the right. We're gonna to learn tools of how to use it in the right way, so that we could rule over it instead of it ruling over us. So let's begin. Pasuk Aleph. Lam naziach beneginos mizmar L'david. For the leader with musical instruments, a psalm of David. Okay, so the word Lam here is a very familiar introduction that we all are very aware of. Many Prakim start with this introduction. So what, it, it, And it happens to be that here in Perak Dalid, we're seeing it for the very first time in Tehillim. So we want to understand here what it means. Okay, so a what's a menatsayach? A is a conductor. So we have to know that there was a whole orchestra of Levium in the Beit Hamikdash that was, that, that were playing music. There were musicians and there were singers and it was a whole band and they would play music on different occasions. But when David wanted them to sing his psalms, his Tehillim, he only handed over those compositions to the Minatseach, to the conductor. The conductor who was in charge, who was leading the whole choir and the whole band. A nice thing to note is in the word, in the word, lamnatseach, we see the root word, netzach, which means forever. What's the message here? David is starting off his parak by saying, ladies and gentlemen, don't space out now. Um, this is not a history book. You're not about to read about what happened all these years ago, which has nothing to do with you. Very, very, quite the contrary. These words are netzach. They're forever. Well, everything I'm going to be saying here is applying to you in all the generations, and my words are eternal, and they have meaning and importance for everyone. Rav Hirsch says about the words Mismar David here, that um, David is saying, you know, as an introduction to this parak, you know, just reminding us, this is a Mismar David. In other words, here in this parak, we're going to, again, see the classic style of David, and what's his classic style, what's his way of being... Um, is that he lifts himself up from his distress. He uplifts himself from his low mood, from his difficult challenge, to a place where he's on a high, where he's trusting in Hashem's salvation. Pasuk, Bez. Bekari, aneni, Elokidki tzidki. Answer me when I call my God of, of my vindicator. O oh, God, my vindicator. God who clears blame. Um, batsar her You freed me from distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So let's look at the different parts of this pasuk. Alokei tzidki, God of my righteousness. So Radak is just pointing out here that the backdrop of this parak, like we said, is that David is fleeing from the, from his enemies and they're, they're hurling false accusations about him. They're spreading rumors about things that he did wrong. So David is saying here, Alokei tzidki, answer me the God of justice. The Hashem who knows that I'm right. You, Hashem, know that everything they're saying is falsehood and you know that I'm in the right. So, please, you know, he's appealing to that part of Hashem that knows his, that, that he's really right. Batsar herchavtali. Like we spoke about um, when we said, Min ha karasika anani va It's the same Lashon here. Min ha and Batsar, they both mean in my narrow straits. Herchavta is the same Lashon as merchav. Um, you widened, you expanded me. So again, Doug, David's signature way of uplifting himself. We said, Mizmar la David, right? We said, in this parak, we're going to see how he uplifts himself from his distress with Amuna. And here it's showing how, it's reminding us, Batsar chavtali," that when David is in a place of narrowness, he views it that the purpose of it is the Merchav, chavta. the purpose of his distress is seeing how is to is to widen himself and expand himself as a person and this is his perspective on his distress and this is how he ends up being a mismar Ladavid, his this is how his signature way of being is to be so uplifted even in dark times. Um if you want to go back to Parak Kofiur Ches, when I taught that Parak, um I discussed this concept a little more in depth. Khaneni Ushmat Filasi <laughs> Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. The word chaneni is from the word chen. Chen means grace. So we all know there's certain people that when we see them, we just smile. Certain people, you see them and you want to be around them. They walk into the room. They light up the room. We can't really put our finger on why. We just know that these are special people that have chen. So what is Chain? That's exactly what chen is. Chen is when a person has found favor in someone for no real explicable reason at all. And David is saying here to Hashem, he's adhering to the principle that a person should never come to Hashem and claim that Hashem you owe me because I'm I merited good from you. And there's a special reason why I should be getting this good thing that this or this um this Yeshua from you. A person should never do that. Why? Because when a person comes over to Hashem with that sense of entitlement, automatically the heavenly tribunal is going to take a look and see, is, is it true that you're really worthy of this? And they're going to judge your actions very, very carefully. So what person could really, what person is able to withstand that type of heavenly scrutiny so instead david is saying chaneni see my chain look at me and 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 do good for me just because just for no reason not because i did something special not because i earned it but just for no just just because just because you love me and you find favor in me for no reason just as a free gift He's now turning to these, uh, to these enemies, to these rebels, and he's saying, "Bnei ish, sons of men, Admeh Until how long are you going to put my honor to shame and love vanity and seek deception?" Okay, so let's look at the words B'nai ish. Why is David addressing these men, these men as B'nai ish, the sons of men? It's an interesting way of talking to a person. So he's saying here that a nice explanation of this is that he's saying, he's talking to the enemies, to talking to the rebels, the detractors, and he's saying, you all, you're B'nai Ish, you're the sons of men, you yourself have fathers, and you're obedient children to your own fathers, so why then are you assisting my son in his degradation of me? Why are you enabling my son to do all these terrible things to me if you yourself are B'nai ish and you know what it's like to have your own father? And he says, Since Kivodi lachlima, since you put my honor to shame, what's gonna be your punishment? You're going to Havon Rick. You're gonna love your own children in vain. Meaning the Mida Kenegan Midah he's he's prophesizing here that the punishment for you is gonna be Amida Kanegir punishment, where you're gonna put so much love and energy into your children, but it's all gonna be rick. It's gonna be for naught. It's gonna be empty. It's gonna be for nothing. Why? Because, Kivodi because you're putting me to shame through my son, and you're, you yourself are B'nai-ish. Tavakshu you Tavakshu means you're seeking deception, Basically, they were making up, like we said, rumors about him. So he's saying, you're making up stories about me that aren't true. Pasuk dalid Udu'u k'yeflah Hashem Um Know that the, that Hashem singles out the faithful for himself. Hashem yishma b'kari elav. Hashem hears when I call to him. So here David is continuing and he's saying to them, why should you stop your chazav? Why should you stop your deception? This is why, because I'm warning you, du'u, you should know Hashem, chasilo. Hashem separates, Hashem gives preferential treatment to those who are chasid, to those who are loyal to Him. So therefore, because I call out to Hashem and I'm close with Him, you're never going to succeed against me. So stop what you're doing. Pasuk, hey, rigzu ve'al so tremble and don't sin anymore. Imru say in your heart, al meshkavchem, on your beds, Vidom and be quiet forever. So, what does this mean? So, Rigzuva al tremble and don't sin anymore. Rabbeinu Yona and his Shari Tshuva, he he uses these words to derive one of the fundamental ideas of repentance, of Tshuva. And he says that if after a person would sin, he's saying the word rigzu here, it doesn't mean tremble and fear. It means like like rogez, like be angry, be agitated at yourself. And then you won't sin. So he's saying if a person would immediately after they do a sin, if they would do tshuva and they would have that deep charata, like the way you're supposed to, and they would feel awful about what they did and regret it with all their heart, like being really agitated and anxious and angry about what they did, rigzu. Then when the Yetzirah is going to come again, he'll have a much easier time staying away from the sin. He's going to say, I'm not drinking from that cup of poison again, right? I, I did it already before. I'm not going to do this again. It was too painful. And this is really how tshuva needs to be done. That when a person sins, they should take the time to really feel all the negative consequences of their sin and to be angry about it and to be upset about it, like sincerely. Um, it's funny because often after I prepare a lesson, I, I encounter in my daily life, like, real examples of a lesson that I just prepared, and this happened this week. I was talking to a friend, and she's a really, um, sincere person, and she was saying that, She's like, you know, I don't get to have any fun in life because as I'm, when I'm saying anything about anybody else, if I'm saying lashan hara about somebody, I get such anxiety from it. It makes me feel so terrible about myself. It's so like black and white clear in my mind that I'm doing the wrong thing that I can never say it. Like I, I have to stop myself and I can never say any lashan hara. I'm like, you know, I, I have like no flexibility in my life and, and, and it's, it's just, it, you know, it's, it's so black and white for me. And I said, and I quickly, then I was got excited and I said, well, this is what I'm teaching. You're doing, you're doing, this is exactly where you need to be. This is, this is the best place to be in where you feel the negative consequences on the spot and it will prevent you from going there again. So say in your heart, on your beds. So what's with the beds? Um why Why is David telling them that they should ponder at night in their beds about what they're doing and that what they're doing is wrong? Because when one lies down at night to sleep at the end of the day, right, we all know this is when we're removed from our daily activities, from all of our plans and all of our errands and all of our things. And that's when we can really, really think clearly about what happened that day. So, for example, when I lie down in bed at night, I might wonder, um, why did I eat that ice cream cone today? Or what, what, oh, Shrek, I forgot carpool. I wonder who stepped up and had to do it instead of me. Uh, right? All the things, why did I criticize my child today? I could have done it a different way. That's the time where we can really look at our day objectively. So, David is suggesting here that this is also the perfect time to recognize my innocence," he's saying to these rebels. This is a perfect time at night when you're in bed and you're removed from the day's activities. Now you could think and realize how wrong you are and in, in, in spreading all these falsehoods about me. The, domusela, the word "domu radak" says means it's like a stronger word than "shtika." Shtika, qu- being quiet when you're shtika, it means that you're you're not speaking. It implies that person doesn't speak. But Domu is like a complete silence that's void of any sound whatsoever. So he's telling them, like, basically, cut it out. Like, completely cut out this behavior. Pasuk Vav, ziv Zivchei Tzedek, Hashem, Offer up sacrifices of righteousness and trust in Hashem. So David is telling here, the detractors, that because you have sinned, you're going to require a sacrifice in order to be forgiven. But don't be like the Rasha, who is going to bring the sacrifice and then promptly return to their evil ways. Make it a Zivchei Be make it a sacrifice of righteousness so that, that you're going to repent and you're going to stay that way and have trust in Hashem, what does this have to do with anything here? Rashi says that if a person is doing something wrong and they see that as their only way of getting what they need, they're never going to be able to stop doing it. So for example, if a person is stealing and and they think to themselves, the only way I could ever live and put bread on my table is if I do this act of theft, then they'll never be able to stop stealing, right? So David here is telling them, don't worry. Trust in Hashem. God could easily satisfied, satisfy all your wants and needs. Everything that you're wanting and that, that, that's why you're rebelling, all those things can be satisfied by Hashem. There's no reason to slander and to betray the king just for thinking that you're going to get ahead in life. Pasuk Zion. Rabim, Omrim. Many say, Mi Areenu Tov, who's going to show us good? Nisa'alainuar Hashem. Let the light of your face shine upon us, Hashem. So Rashi explains that if a person wasn't always looking at Mi Areinu Tov, at what good does everybody else have, then he would be happy and content with everything that he has. And this was he's saying, Rashi's saying this was the problem here with these followers of Avshalom. Because they were... What what was their issue? They were observing the prosperity of the non-Jews around them. And this stirred them up to jealousy. And it led them to wanting change, to wanting to betray the king. And this is the concept that we're going to be speaking about at the end of the parak. We're going to give s- specific tools of how to handle this very common issue in life. Of looking elsewhere and not being sameach b'chalko. Nesa'aleinu or Hashem. So he's saying... Let the light of your face shine upon us, Hashem. What is he? What is David saying here? He's saying, Hashem, these people, these rebels, these enemies—they don't get it. They're looking elsewhere. They want—they want—they're the, envying the success, the material success of the Gentiles. They don't recognize. They're failing to understand that in Judaism itself, in being close with you and following the Torah and mitzvot, there's such richness and happiness and satisfaction. In that that, they, they don't, if they would realize that, they wouldn't find the need to be chasing after other successes. So he says, it's Filat Hashem here, Nasa alenu Arpanecha, like bathe these frozen souls in the warmth of your presence so that they could get on the right path, so they could see clearly. Pasuk ches, Nasata Simcha Velibi. So here, David is contrasting these people who are constantly looking elsewhere to himself, and he's saying, in my heart, the Simcha Velibi in my heart you implanted the quality hashem of sameach ba'kelki. I'm happy with everything that I have. I could forgive others. I could be happy for others to have good things because I'm happy. de astagnanu bisi rosham rabu when their grain and wine show increase. So he's when he's saying that when I see that the gentiles are having prosperity, they're having grain, they're having wine, they're having wheat, they're having whatever they need i'm happy simcha belibi. why because it shows me something very important it shows me that if a gentile who only is responsible for keeping the sheva mitzvot ben noach he only has seven mitzvot to do if he has so much prosperity in his life Kalvachomer, even more so a person who's keeping 613 mitzvot who knows like imagine what the reward is going to be for for the yid who's keeping 613 mitzvot. So that he's saying, the more he's saying here, the more I see the guy I'm happy, the happier I am. Because then I know how, you know, how great we're going to be rewarded in the end also. Pasuk Tes. Bashalom, yachtav, eshkevav, Ishan Safe and sound, I lie down and sleep. Kiata Hashem, lavadad, lavetach, toshiveni. For you alone, Hashem, you keep me secure. So this is David's final plea to the camp of Avshalom. He's saying, he's saying, guys, we need peace. We need we need shalom between us, and we have to remember that only Hashem is our savior. We have to rely only on Him and not look elsewhere to to improve our lives in negative ways. So we see from this parak that David was trying to get the followers of Avshalom, of Avshalom's rebellion, to repent. And Rashi tells us that the root cause of this rebellion was that the people were not sameach b'chalkam. They were looking at others, they were feeling jealous, they were wanting more. So let's look at the concept of jealousy. I, I never really felt I had a good grasp on this concept of jealousy. And when I learned it, I realized there's so much more in it than we think. So the Archo Sadiqim says in his Kina in his chapter on jealousy. He says in the very beginning, Ein adam nimlat mimenu. no one escapes from it. Jealousy is a midah that every single, right? Some of us are saying, me? Jealous? What? Who? I was never jealous. Why is she talking about jealousy? It's such an ugly midah. Guess what? You have it too. No one escapes it. Um, so why though? Why did Hashem do this? Why do we each have it? And the answer is because the medrash quotes that Hashem says to us, Kane li, be jealous for me. Why? male ha'kena without the midah of jealousy, The world would not be able to survive. Why? adam isha ubona Bias? A person would never want to get married or build a home or have any other she'ifos. They would. Ne- we wouldn't have the ambition and the drive to build the world up and to b- bring future generations about. And to do everything we do, if not for the media of jealousy. Jealousy is what gets us moving and shaking. It gives us ideas and motivates us to strive for more. It shows us the variety in the world of all the possible options for us in our life. So we have to realize that jealousy is in fact super important. And it has a very good side to it. There's two sides. There's a destructive side, but there's also a constructive side. And when we talk about the good side of jealousy being called kina sofrim, jealousy of people who are learning Torah, we have to recognize that learning Torah is not just a specific category of someone opening up a sefer. The jealousy that we have of people who are learning Torah means that I'm jealous of anybody who's doing anything that, that's included in the Torah. So any good thing, basically, basically any positive thing that anybody else is doing, is a good jealousy if if i'm looking at that and i'm i'm viewing it that that's where i want to be also that's called kinestophren that's the constructive part of jealousy and then there's the destructive part of jealousy which perkelos tells us is motzi a adam and olam it takes us out of the world and it creates a lot of destruction in our lives so we want to make sure to utilize the the constructive jealousy and to take away or to mitigate the destructive kind. So how do we do this? So the two ideas that I'm going to give you are as follows. Number one, number one is reframe the way you view what other people have. Change the way you're viewing what you want, what it is that you want. So for example, your sister lost 20 pounds, your friend is having a baby at age 40, you see someone who's going back to college later in life and you're feeling like, why didn't I? Um So instead of asking, why does she have it and I don't, instead we're going to reframe and we're going to ask, what desire is this awakening inside of me? What do I now want to accomplish now that I see that other person has something great? What's going to happen then? Then, basically, the Sefer Olam Amidos tells us the more you use the knowledge of what other people have to better your own lives. In other words, the more you have sofrim, the more you have this positive form of jealousy, the less negative jealousy you're going to have. That's the way it works. The sofrim is the antidote to the destructive type of jealousy. So we want to practice constantly reframing and asking ourselves, what, oh, this person has something, and I'm feeling a pinch. So, what what's that pinch about? What do I want to do now because of that? What's my new goal in life that I'm recognizing that I should be having through seeing somebody else have something that I also want? And what and what will happen is then instead of having resentment and jealousy towards this person, you'll end up thanking them for providing you with the inspiration that you needed to achieve your goals. You're going to look at them favorably. And you're going to realize that if we didn't have variety in the world, then we would never know what to be striving for ourselves. So thank you so and so for going back to school at the age of 67 so that I could now also realize that I want more for my own life. Okay. Um, now the question, you know, the question obviously now is, right, how do we achieve those goals? It's nice to say that this is my goal, but it's easier said than done. So in the Zoom, in the private Zoom groups that I'm leading, I teach how to reach those goals, even the goals that seem impossible, that seem so out of reach, how to take what we're wanting in life and actually make it happen, and I teach it in a very step-by-step, clear process, and it's fun and it's exciting and it works. Okay, so that's number one. so I, unfortunately, I can't get into all the details of how to achieve our goals. It's beyond the scope of this short, short class, but I do teach it in my um, in my groups. Okay, number two. The second idea here um, is that we have to know that the greatest antidote to destructive jealousy, the greatest one, is to fill ourselves up with self-esteem. The more a person has his own factory inside of him that's providing him with the approval, security, love, all those good feelings about himself that he needs, the less needy he's going to be of external validation, of things in his surroundings lining up just so. So the more you're okay with yourself, the less you're going to envy others. You're going to feel full. You're not going to feel needy of putting more things in you and looking around hungrily at everybody else. You're going to feel settled. You're going to feel satisfied just because you have your own source. You're your own source of approval. And that's true self-esteem. So it's important to note that many of us think, well, I can't really have self-esteem because as a kid, you know, I, I, this is how I was raised and it was abusive or it wasn't good for me or I didn't get the love that I needed. And yes, it's true that our core self-esteem is created through our connection with our primary caregivers. It is true. However, we have to know that at any time we are capable of strengthening it and building upon it and making it better. And we did already actually discuss in these to-home classes a bunch of ways of strengthening our self-esteem. We spoke about, just to jog your memory, we spoke about trying to be the best people that we could be and educating ourselves to be able to take real steps towards self-expansion versus waiting for everyone else around us to change, waiting for our life circumstances to change, right? that We spoke about that empowerment that we get when we take responsibility for our life, even when it seems like somebody else is doing something wrong to us. What does this show me about myself, right? We spoke a lot about this. And we said that... We should pivot, right? We spoke about when we hear ourselves talking negatively, which we do all the time, we talk negatively about ourselves in our minds all day long, we should instead catch those thoughts and turn and pivot to say something positive about ourselves instead, to change that script in our mind. And tonight, I want to add another idea that I didn't speak about yet, and this is the idea called that we hear about all the time, especially lately, it's called self-care. So I just want to preface this by validating the fact that um, a lot of you might be thinking, "Ah, oh, here she goes with the self-care, right? So oversimplified, so selfish, so whatever. And in fact, I myself had an experience where I went to a therapist and I came in with a serious issue and I'm sitting there all distraught waiting for some clarity. And what's the first thing that she comes out of her mouth? Well, did you ever consider... Doing some more self care, and of course I was like enraged inside. Like, are you serious? This is why I'm paying you two hundred dollars um, to tell me to go get a manicure. I, I don't need help with that. Thank you very much. And it was like, hello, is this an oversimplification? Anyone? Like, really? This is this the grand solution that you're proposing to my big life-altering problem? <laughs> um, so I wanted just for to to clarify. Um, yes, okay, you know, it makes sense, right? It makes sense to think that this is, what could it really do for us anyways? And whatever, I already take care of myself enough and blah, blah, blah. But just to give you an example of the importance of self-care in our life, um, I was watching a interview of Michelle Obama and she was talking about her personal stuff. Um, it was, she was re- referring to her book. She was like, I think promoting her book and she was being interviewed and she said that she went to marriage counseling with Barack. And what happened? She was complaining that, you know, her whole main complaint about her husband was that he puts himself first, right? I Here I am at home with two little babies. I have all the housework and the babies to take care of and I'm babysitting them all day. And he just disappears to the gym for two hours. And she said the, the, when her marriage, what made her marriage improve was when she finally stopped pointing fingers at him for taking care of himself. And she herself got up and went to the gym in the morning. She decided, I'm going to take care of myself. And she, I'm going to take responsibility for my own self care. And that's what got her marriage to a better place. So it seems oversimplified, but the truth is, that when we take responsibility to bring our self pleasure and joy in our life meaning instead of I, i'm not just referring to the 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 self care of like eating healthy and exercising and sleeping right that goes without saying i'm talking about the self care that is that is that is that is the the fun enjoyable amazing exciting things that we do in our life that we love that bring us energy that put us in a state of flow that really like that's, that, that's what gives our, our life joy. Every day we need to do th- at least three, three things that give us that joy and pleasure in our life. And it's, what happens is when we become our own source of that, then we stop blaming other people around us. We start seeing things differently. We stop pointing fingers and saying, well, uh, you know, my husband's not helping me take care of the kids and my kids are this and my parents are that and my siblings are that. We stop pointing fingers and we say, we realize it gives us a very cloud clear message. I am responsible for my own well-being and nobody else needs to take care of me like a little baby. The problem is that as women, we're the ultimate caretakers. So we're busy Taking care of everyone all the time and it could easily create a situation where we forget about ourselves and then we become resentful of everything that we're doing for everyone else and that they're not returning the favor. Instead, make it a priority to give yourself your own joy and pleasure in your life through the things that you love doing and then it will, it will, it will be a huge boost for your self-esteem because basically what you're saying is you're giving your mind the message that I am a person who is worthy of taking care of myself, who is wor- worthy of a good, happy life. And th- it's like a fake it till you make it idea. When I do that, when I do things that give my mind that message, then I actually start feeling it. I start feeling like I'm worthy. I start feeling like I'm respectable. And when I become respectable in my own eyes, when I'm worthy in my own eyes, I'm sending a message to the world to also treat me in that way as well. So self-care is actually um not oversimplified it sounds like it but in reality it's a super important technique that we should all bring into our life and like i said we should consider at least 3 times in the day where we make sure that we're doing something that we really enjoy do you like playing piano um do you like singing dancing whatever reading a book taking a hot bath do something that gives you pleasure every single day more than one thing. Okay, so to review, um we said that jealousy has two two sides. It has the side of destructive side and the constructive side. And in order to align ourselves with the constructive side and to stop having envy in a bad way, we suggested two ideas. Number one, reframe the way that you look about the things that you, the way that you look at the things that you want. Instead of asking, why does she have it? Ask, what desire is this awakening me? What goal is now, you know, what's the new goal that I'm creating in my life because of what I see in this person that I want? And the second thing we said is that we have to, we have to build up our self-esteem. There are many ways to do this. I spoke about some in our classes. I gave you a new one today of self-care, which is a fun, Um, it's a fun, pleasurable way of boosting your self-esteem and it has other great, you know, great benefits as well. Like I said, where other people will treat you with more respect and find you more appealing because you're not going to be resentful and angry at everyone else. Um, and we spoke about doing at least three self-care things a day that are going to give you happiness and excitement about life. Thank you everybody for listening and have a great night.